0: The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit fef.law.
1: Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we review two Austin Road victories. We'll preview the upcoming match in Atlanta, and then we'll also speculate on some player transfers. My name is Landon Cottam, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Jeremiah, I meant to bring this up on last week's show, and because it was uh, kind of a hurried affair, and I was rushing home from the the airport to be on the show in time, I kind of forgot, but I believe last week was our 100th episode. Wow. Really? Yeah. It's hard to believe. In our hosting website, it's listed at higher than that, but the Swoon Tower episodes kind of throw it off a little bit. And so I went back and counted, and I believe last week was 100. So this is number 101. That's kind of exciting. So episode one was? Do you remember? Um, February
0: of 2020. Okay. And so we didn't have a team. I have no idea no, what we June. talked about.
1: Yeah, February 2020. Yeah. I don't... Quick correction. Our first episode was actually in June of 2020, not February. Back to the show. Some Somebody... Um, I can't remember his last name. Logan, it's not one of Los Logans that's over, that are always at Hop Squad, but another Logan that is in Los Verdes said that he and a friend are driving to Colorado this weekend, and because our episode was late, that he was going to make his friend listen to the first ever episode of Moontower Soccer. <laughs> it's like, why would you do that to, to anybody?
0: Oh, man, yeah, they're, you know – even last year, when we had some weeks that were tough in terms of talking about games without great outcomes, I think the shows over the last year or so have definitely been a lot easier than those early shows. And we've talked about this in various places. But when we were reading like neighborhood association meeting minutes, when they were talking to Jordan Inky in order to fill an hour <laughs> or covering whoever the latest sponsor might be, or I think we spent a few weeks like trying to guess who the stadium naming rights might have. Like all those things are blessedly in the past. So that's been a lot of fun, man. And we've done as opposed to the last show that we did, like we've done all these virtually too, right? Uh, Yeah, we have. Cause
1: we started the, yeah, the independent show during the pandemic, or I guess the early, like maybe we did some of those together, but I think almost all of them are virtual, which is wild. Um, But yeah, here's, here's to another 100 years of Moon Tower of soccer.
0: <laughs> maybe not a hundred years. Here's another hundred shows <laughs> at least.
1: I said years and I meant it. Um, all right, let's get into some Austin FC news. So, Brad Stuver was nominated for the ESPN Humanitarian of the Year. I saw this come, I saw this this headline come out and I was thinking, like, oh, okay, like there's quite a few people on the list or whatever. And then checked it and was like, no, no, there's four people nominated and Brad Stuver is one of them.
0: Yeah, four people across every professional sport in the United States. I mean, it's him. Anthony Barr of the NFL, the Minnesota Vikings, Albert Pujols of the St. Louis Cardinals, and Carl Anthony Towns of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, this is not like a little little MLS kind of deal. Like, it's the entire world – well, not the entire world, but it's like the entire country of American sports, which is pretty exciting. I can't imagine there's been a ton of soccer players that have even been up for this. Yeah. No, I I would be
1: shocked if there was another MLS player – That had been up for it. So, it looks like the ceremony is Wednesday, July 20th. Who's on Austin's schedule at that point in time? Because I believe I read that they were hoping to be able to go to the ceremony. We played Dallas on the 16th and then the Red Bulls on the 24th. So, uh, it would be pretty amazing if if uh, Brad and Ashley got to attend and then got like actually won and got to go on stage at the SB's. Like that's a big deal. <laughs> and for Austin FC to be represented on
0: that, like that's amazing. That is a huge deal. And it just I mean, we've always known that they were wonderful people and have done a lot. Um, but I don't have a lot of context for like what other players and what other markets do. Like, I mean, it seems like they're really involved in the community and do a ton of work, but I think this is really reinforcement. That is true. That they're just Uniquely positioned as wonderful humans who are doing a lot of good for a lot of people that, um, that are very marginalized, sort of in today's environment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, we've we've
1: covered the the feel good <laughs> part of the show. Now let's get into the more salacious part of the All show, right. Jeremiah, and talk about transfer rumors. And so the first one is Cecilio Dominguez. What have, what have we heard about
0: Cecilio Dominguez so far, Jeremiah? Well, we've heard Twitter rumors, I think. Um, So we heard that his family was going away, and then we heard that he was having a going-away party, but then also we heard that maybe it was like really just a going-away party for his family. So like, there's nothing very specific. But it seems like things are underfoot for him to go, and I think you can tell that from sort of his lack of appearances or even on the bench or anything, too. Like, he's been a very... Uh, a non-entity as a player over the last several weeks.
1: Yeah, without him, when we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago, that Pachuca game and then the away game in Montreal after the long international break, everyone thought those were going to be the games that if they're going to ease him back in the team, those are the games to do it in because one was not on TV, one was in a different country. And so, like, try it then if you're going to do it. The fact that he's still not seen the bench for an Austin FC game... I would put a lot of money on the fact that he is not going to be here much longer uh, either on loan or being sold. The question is, where is he going to go? And I think that is a big question because who, who will take him at this point? Like he, he carries significant baggage at this point. So who do you think would actually take him right now?
0: I mean, I think he, he has to go back to South America. I mean, I could see him going to going back to Paraguay or going somewhere else. I mean, so, you know, people have different, I think that baggage is different in other places than it is in major league soccer, you know, in, yeah. in this country, given where they are. And I think, you know, and I've heard, I've seen some of this stuff online about how like, Oh, well you should, you should, Austin should play him some so that people can see that he's still got talent and whatever. But like, I, I don't buy that argument either. Like teams all around the world know who Cecilia Dominguez is. And just cause he hasn't played for a few weeks. I don't think that really changes his value so i think they're still like trying to find the right situation to take the least financial loss possible in terms of getting him somewhere else and that may well be yeah you know, may well be alone right now yeah
1: and i think the i think alone is almost certainly the most viable option just because he's on significant money is it 1.7 million i think is his salary for austin fc a lot of leagues well, – you said South America. I think you're right. I think that is the most likely destination. A lot of the leagues in South America, $1.7 million is a really big contract. And so a loan, if that happens – I mean like a loan or, or a, a sale, you're going to have to find a team that's willing to pay his salary. And so with a loan, Austin FC could continue to pay part of his salary – the tricky part there is that whatever part that Austin FC is still playing still counts against the Austin FC salary budget. And so you see a situation like Miami. Um, What's his name? Rodolfo Pizarro is playing in Mexico right now, but still counts as a designated player for Miami because Miami is still carrying that much of his salary. And so because Dominguez is on, significantly lower money than pisaro was on, that's less of a risk, but still a risk. Like it's still a possibility. And so the just like finding the, the right puzzle piece to fit into that gap is gonna be tricky. Um I I hope they can make it happen just because it would be pretty miserable to watch this drag on for the rest of the season and maybe for the rest of another season, depending on how long his contract is, but uh, I'm I'm hoping this will be done soon.
0: Yeah, I agree. And so, and we had another rumor. I mean, uh, I don't know if it counts as a rumor or not, but we had a Diego Fagundes rumor. I think it was the first one that we saw. Right, everybody, everybody was ready for like transfer season shenanigans, and then the first yeah. one we saw it was like, oh, maybe Diego's going out to Uruguay. Not that kind of transfer. Not, yeah, <laughs> it's the other way, we want it going the other way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this
1: rumor was stated that it was uh, the Team Nacional in Uruguay would be buying Gio Fagundes. I don't put a lot of stock in this rumor for a few reasons, one of which is this one Twitter account was the only place I saw this mentioned. Doing some Google searches, looking through Twitter, nobody else picked this up. Nobody else was talking about it. It was one anonymous Twitter account that I think the name of is like, like the name you can choose is like transfers. And then it yeah. was like Uruguay signings or something is the at. And so there's a lot of these, like a lot of these anonymous accounts that deal in unsubstantiated transfer rumors. This seems like one of them, the fact that it's just that place and nowhere else makes me think it's BS. Another thing is that according to transfer Marks, Nacional in Uruguay, their record transfer fee that they've paid is 1.1 million. There might be something not accounted in there that maybe they're missing, but they had not paid many transfer fees, very high at all. And the the highest one listed in transfer mark is 1.1 million. It would cost more than 1.1 million to get Diego Fugundes away from Austin FC at this point.
0: Yeah, for sure. So let's, let's discount that one. So let's, let's say that we're going to we're going to stand pat at least during this season. Although, you know, we still maybe have Rodney and, you know, whatever, but let's go to the more interesting things and talk about transfers well, and So, one thing one thing about the, I, I want to say one more thing about the Diego thing.
1: It's I'm I'm not saying it's impossible for Diego to leave cuz it is possible, but Austin's not going to let him walk away at this point. Like we talked about this a few episodes back. Does he deserve more money? Sure. Sure he does. But This is the this is the contract he agreed to. Whenever that contract's up, he holds all the chips like the ball is in Austin's court. Like pay the man or he's going to leave like that part is true. But the fact that he's going to leave right now for no money is not true at all. So, yeah. okay. let's let's move on to the inward transfer. So we got green smoke from Anthony Precourt on Twitter today. Austin FC fans will know that that means we're going to be announcing a signing probably tomorrow. Uh, as as history has taught us, so no names have officially been attached to this, but there's one that's been floating around Twitter very prominently, uh, to an extent that it's almost it's almost got to be this guy,
0: right? Yeah, it's the only because there's this name, and there's no other names. It's not like there are three, two or three different guys right. being speculated about that we're all sort of scout. I mean, scouting is a very loose thing because I know somebody mentioned that. <laughs> we've all we've all watched like one youtube highlight video about this guy at this point and i think we will probably have more to come later once we know but yeah let's let's talk about this rumor
1: yeah okay so the name is washington coroso uh coroso is a 23 year old ecuadorian winger He's currently at pumas in mexico uh he had 5 goals and one assist in 28 appearances at pumas most of those appearances as a substitution i think he had 11 starts for Pumas, including, and that was league starts. He also played in, uh, both legs of the, um, CONCACAF champions league against the Seattle Sounders, which I would like to go back and kind of watch those games we, now, especially pay, pay, pay watching, watching him just because like, it's sometimes watching guys in another league. It's hard to know like what the level is, but I know what the Sounders level is. <laughs> and so if we am going to watch him play against the Sounders, like, you have a pretty good idea of what the guy looks like. So I'll definitely be doing that. If uh, if it ends up being this guy, Um, Kevin Morris posted this on Twitter and he says some quick transfer marked math puts Washington Caruso at about one goal per 256 minutes for Pumas in League MX, mostly as a sub. That's certainly not bad. And then for reference, he adds Cecilio Dominguez. Our top goal scorer last year was one goal per 340 minutes. So 256 to 340. Um, It's not it's not numbers that's going to stand out and be like, okay, this is going to be the guy he's going to be the man on the team. But with those numbers to be like one of the guys fighting for a spot in that attacking line, like it's pretty good. And especially for a 23 year old playing in a really high level league, like Liga and Mickey's.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at a 23 year old winger, you know, left left winger, right? Primarily. So he fits a significant positional need. And, um, the year before he played, was he playing in his home league? The year before, is that right? Uh,
1: yeah, he played in um, in Ecuador, and then had a really good season. I think in twenty twenty, yeah, twenty twenty scored sixteen goals.
0: So he's got a good track record.
1: Oh shit! Sorry, I'm just looking up his.
0: Never mind. In twenty twenty, scored six goals.
1: Oh no, so yeah, so in he comes from Independiente del Valle. Um that's where his like um his academy team is, but then he was playing in Peru in 2020 and had eight goals and twenty eight appearances that season. And then it looks like seven goals and thirty four appearances total for Pumas. So again, a young player, um, looking at kind of the reaction online of Puma's fans. I mean, take, take it with a grain of salt. What fans of Liga and Meckie's team say about players that are leaving? <laughs> Cause I think you can find whatever opinion you want generally. Um, but yeah, I, I like, I don't know if this is the guy, I don't know that we should expect him to come in and save the day. And like, we're definitely winning MLS cup, but it is like a a definitely a bump up in level at winger depth, which is something it seems like we need right now. Um, yeah, when we're playing a seventeen-year-old central midfielder at winger as the starter most games, like this is a, this is a, a a step up in level for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like it's a young talent um, who's had some success. We we don't know money wise exactly what it's going to be, but. I imagine he's not going to cost a ton. I mean, transfer Market has him at uh, like 880 K as his value. So but I mean, I why think not he's
1: out of contract? And so I don't know that we'll necessarily be paying a transfer fee. Um, in any case, uh, I saw uh, Jorge Turalde who is, I think he's a Leon fan. Sorry, Jorge, if this is wrong, but I think he's a Leon fan, but pays attention to Mexican soccer for sure. Uh, he's not excited about this guy. (laughs) And (laughs) he was, he was saying his, if we sign this guy as a DP, that he's going to be pretty upset about it. I don't think a guy of this profile would be a designated player for Austin. Um, I would guess like Tam level maximum, just because if you look at guys like Romagna, Valencia, guys that we brought in from, uh, from South American teams, paid a transfer fee for and we know we're paying those guys and we those guys aren't dps like i think we can keep this guy below dp level as well so i'm not super concerned about that i i too would be concerned if this was a dp signing but you have to remember we currently have technically four designated players if you count tomas pochettino uh if he were to come back he would i think we could do some things to correct this if he were to come back but he was a designated player when he left Austin. And so until Cecilio Dominguez is officially gone or until Tomas Pochettino is officially off the books, we do not have space for a designated player right now. So I would find it really strange that they would announce him this week as a designated player if we still have three designated players on the, on the books and they haven't announced anything about any of them. So um, I'm not too worried about that. Um, but as far as what we saw in the, like the highlight reels, I'll be watching more and we'll, we'll, (laughs) we'll bring more info on this than just like the, the YouTube highlight reel, but he looks fast. Um, he's like decent size, like pretty, pretty well built. So not like a small fast guy, but like a pretty good size, fast player, uh, quick with the ball at his feet. Plays well with both feet. I just saw him hitting shots and crosses with both his right and left foot in there. So, uh, it's exciting. We do. So we're expecting this announcement to come on Wednesday, July 6th. Um, Jeremiah, we're going to throw our hats over the fence now and say we're going to have a special episode out on Thursday, probably Thursday around noon and it'll be strictly dedicated to whoever this signing is so we'll do some homework on wednesday on thursday we'll get a special episode out on this uh on this signing and
0: that way you don't have to wait a whole week for that to happen although i have this great fear that it's going to end up being like the second coming of big celery now we're gonna have to try to fi- try to find a way to f- like feel like 30 minutes or something around that but i, I <laughs> given given all the the speculation so far i think it's pretty safe to say that this is going to be somebody that we do want to talk about Um, I want to ask about this Eden Azar rumor. Cause I, so I was no. out of town. I was out of town last week, and I just saw like hundreds of posts in Los Verdes Slack about... I mean, this is like nonsense, right? It is this It's like, like the Geniac uh, of, of 2022, or what, what is this? Uh, people is are going to be mad at me for saying this. Okay.
1: Especially folks over at the False Nine who are... Who are maybe the the key suspects in perpetuating this rumor? But this one seems like one of those that was like, "Let's see if we can start a transfer rumor." <laughs> <laughs> so Eden Hazard is not going to be in the
0: announcement tomorrow. I can just well, I- guarantee you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you don't you think you don't think so? I'm pretty sure we would know if that was the case. But yeah, so no no potential to bring that guy in. One other we saw was Christian
1: Ramirez. Uh, He played for um, Minnesota United and Houston for a while. He's been over in Scotland, had a really good season in Scotland last year. And there was one publication in the UK linking him to Austin FC. But again, it's one of those where I did not see this written anywhere else. It was pretty much like, Everything was like Christian Ramirez might go back to MLS, and this one article chose to tag us in it for whatever. Right, reason. I was going
0: to say yeah, it was only, it was only connected to us F C through the fact that they tagged Moon Tower Soccer in the uh, in the striker, maybe, or was it just us? I don't know. I
1: can't remember. Yeah. But
0: in any case, this does not seem likely. And also, like,
1: I just can't see us signing another striker right now. I think maybe in the off season we'll sign one, but I think right now we're the guys we have are the guys we're going to have.
0: Yeah, among the holes in this roster, this is not one of my primary concerns. We're yeah. getting we're getting plenty. we'll when we'll get into this with well, the games this week, but we're definitely getting fine production, especially compared to last year out of the striker position.
1: All right. So let's move on to the Charlotte match. So this was the first of two away wins for Austin FC this match week. Um looking at the lineup for this game, I guess we just say, yeah, the, the it ended up one nil with a Danny Pereira goal, but Danny Pereira was not in the starting 11 for this game, which was a little bit surprising for some, I think, but Josh Wolf said, I think this was in the post game press conference. Uh, This is a quote from him. He said, he's taken some bad yellows and some bad reds. I don't think it would have been right to put him back in to start this game. We've got a competitive group and we've been grinding. And the last game was a grind as well. So I thought Felipe did a good job with Alex in there making it difficult Pepe came in and showed a little responsibility maturation and obviously his quality Danny said this in an interview after the game as well that like he said yeah like I've I let the team down and I needed to make make it up to him so um, it seems like they're all on the same page there I, I think it's I think it says something that that Josh is like willing to sit a guy a guy that's been one of his better players this season uh, and essentially kind of punish him for, <laughs> for making bad decisions. And
0: that worked for all of 35 minutes or whatever, right? Because when we get into the when we get into the next match, when we talk about dandy getting some cheap yellows or reds, we're gonna get back, we're gonna get back into that topic too.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, the starting lineup against Charlotte ended up being goal, and then left to right on the back line was Gallagher, Romagna, Gabrielson, Lima, uh Felipe and Ring. As your six and eight slash six, then Fagundes, Driusi, Owen Wolf, and Danny Hoosen starting a striker because Maxi Uruti did not travel due to back issues from a small knock he sustained during the previous game. So uh, Maxi not on the bench. Julio Cascante also suffered a hamstring injury in the previous game. And so he did not travel, was not available. That left us with just Kip Keller on the bench as depth here, um, which we ended up needing because Johan Romagna came out with a head injury. They said that he took a knock, and I think I know when it happened. There was a a long ball that he jumped up and knocked heads with. uh, I can't remember which Charlotte player it was, but knocked heads with someone. And they both kind of went down after the fact it was told that he passed concussion protocol at the moment. Then again at halftime and then in the 50th minute of the game ends up coming off uh, and they have to put Kip Keller in for the rest of the game. And he was devastated to come off, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, he looked really, yeah, he did not look at all in a good place to come off. Did I? Okay. So this is going to be kind of graphic, but, didn't he barf on the field? Did uh that's what was reported. I did not okay. see it, but I, d- yeah. I didn't I didn't see there. I was watching this from New Mexico on like my laptop, so I didn't have the best the best view of the thing. But yeah, he was it was, it was definitely not in a good spot when he came off.
1: Yeah, so uh, we do not know what his prognosis is. He did was not available for the next game either, so we'll see what what that looks like um but anyway this game was a little bit uh i don't know how would you describe
0: this game <laughs> it was this is one of those games that we've talked about this before when we've like watched games with our family and maybe you're not into the sport and this is not a good game to try to convince like my uncle and cousins that soccer and mls are like a wonderful competition because it was I don't know. That was pretty bad overall all the way around.
1: Yeah, so I like I think Charlotte felt like 2021 Austin in this game. <laughs> they had most of the ball. I think they ended the game with 64% possession. They got into some pretty good possession uh pretty good spots in possession but didn't have the quality or the creativity to finish any of them off, which again sounds like Austin and had some like major horseshoe of sadness vibes
0: going on for a lot of the game. <laughs> yeah, they did. And who was it? Uh, was it Swiderski? Like somebody after the game said like, oh, we totally dominated this and I can't believe that we lost it in the post game from Charlotte. I think that's who it was. Um, like, yeah. I don't, I mean, they were better on the night, but like, I don't feel like either team was very good. So I feel like saying that they dominated the match was a little bit of an overstatement. I think possession wise, you can say
1: they did. Um, they had still only had 9 shots and only forced two saves from stuver um that not including one that went off the post that was almost in so i you could say that was a decent one they played 16 crosses in um do you know how many of those crosses connected with a charlotte player directly i uh, not very many three zero zero okay Brad Stuver caught eight or nine of them. I was mm-hmm. counting on my rewatch, at least eight, maybe more, but not touched them, not punched them away, but caught them, eight or nine of the sixteen. So, not great. Like the Josuiak, I think is that right winger. He did got into some dangerous spots. Uh, but yeah, it's just not not a lot of creativity. So I think Austin was um uh, maybe a bit fortunate in that regard but they went on on the road against a team who's been really hard to beat at home they had lost one game at home is that right i think their very first one they lost against the galaxy and since then had not lost at home and austin played a like a gritty stingy game capitalized on a chance when they got it and like that's what good teams do it, it wasn't the prettiest game but it's what good teams do to keep collecting points throughout a season and this is not a thing that we would have seen Austin do last year probably. So I, I think although it wasn't a great game of soccer to watch, I think it's an encouraging game for Austin FC. Yeah,
0: as a, as a fan of Austin FC, for sure. So let's talk about that one um, opportunity because it's Danny Pereira. So Danny Pereira so comes off the bench. Yeah, in
1: the in uh, his, what, 50- 59-13 is yeah. the mark on the clock. And I think about two minutes later is when he scores this goal. <laughs> In this go- is- maybe one of his first touch. No, I think he was involved in the build up there. But, uh, yeah, it was a rocket of a goal. So, it uh, Ring ends up dummying a pass into the box. Uh, it gets kicked out of the box. It falls to Lima. Lima lays it off to Pereira. Um, at the top of the box, he had Drucci open there. A little bit further away, which like I know in hindsight you say like yeah he did the right thing, but in that moment I would be thinking like play it to Juicy." but um yeah, goes to goes to Danny at the top of the box. He takes a takes a touch with his left foot, nobody steps to him quick enough, so he has time to kind of repossession onto his stronger right foot, lets it rip, it knuckles into the top left corner, goes off the crossbar down onto the turf, back up
0: off the crossbar and then into the goal. Yeah, it was a so two things about this goal. One, like the x goal on this one is 0.03. <laughs> it shows it is maybe not the greatest attempt. This is one of their only five shots on the night, right? And then two, is that like, is that the farthest out we've scored a goal? Like in my recollection, cuz I mean it's it's well outside the 18. At that point, um, I can't think of one from farther out, but also I have I a short. I feel memory. like maybe.
1: Uh, as far as like official measuring, maybe it would be. But the one that Drew, he scored against Houston. I don't how do you measure that? Because he hit it far post. And so if you measure it from where he hit it to <laughs> where it goes into the goal, I think it was further. But if you just measure it to the goal line, it maybe wasn't further okay. out.
0: Okay, that's probably true. And this was probably pretty much from the middle of the field too.
1: Here, Pereira's goal. More or less. Yes. Yeah, slight, slightly off off axis to the left there, but like yeah, top of the box pretty dead on. So the this goal, looking at kind of what Austin was doing tactically in this game, this goal starts off with um a tactical idea that Wolf has implemented more this year to get the team playing a bit more direct at times. So Whenever the usually the six, like whoever the deepest midfielder is, receives the ball from wide, a lot of times their first move will be to turn and look to switch the field either to a winger stretching, stretching deep like in behind or to the fullback that's pushing up. So the ball falls to Danny after a throw in. And this is, I think, his first touches. As soon as he receives it, he immediately turns and finds Lima out to the right, who plays it forward to Wolf. And then whenever Wolf receives it, approaching the box, he's got four guys crashing the box on the far side, plus Lima kind of floating behind him for like the safe outlet pass. And then Pereira trailing behind that late arriver who ends up receiving the ball. Uh, But this is a thing that like this more direct play that I think we'll see in the Colorado game as well. I think we've seen it at home, some more moments when to look for a direct option But I think on these these road games, this is a thing that we've seen different where it's it's not going five at the back and parking the bus. It's just being a bit more pragmatic in this possession game and trying some direct direct movements instead of trying to like pass it around all the time so that you can keep a slightly more reserved shape, but still take some chances with these longer balls.
0: Yeah, and that overall is something that uh, we've noticed, right, is like Austin is not winning a possession game as much in matches and they're getting they're getting good outcomes from the from those like this one and and some other ones that are that are recent
1: yeah absolutely um all right is there any other moments we want to talk about in this game i know we have a lot of game
0: to talk about here (laughs) yeah i don't there was not a lot of game that excited me i think after giving up on nick lima like two weeks ago i felt he had a really good game the game the pre the previous match and I thought he was really good against Charlotte too so maybe he's whatever kind of funk he was in or whatever bad run of run of form he was on maybe he's sort of turning it around cuz I thought he looked really good in this one
1: Yeah so uh, yeah one one thing I will say about the fullbacks there so looking at um how the midfielders were playing to start off with with Pereira off the field Ring was the deepest midfielder Felipe floating back at times as well and maybe not playing as far forward as ring would in that same position. Uh, But when Danny came on, he was the lone six and the same thing we'll see in the Colorado game. Danny started and was the lone six in the game. So that's, we're thinking maybe Wolf had changed his mind and was going to be playing ring as that six, but it doesn't look like it's the case. If Danny's on the field, he's going to be playing the six for the most part. Uh, But the fullbacks. So, in this game um they're set up in defense regardless of how we're attacking in defense it's generally a 442 with uh whoever one of those 8s the 8 that's not drucy drops in beside the 6 and they play in like a flat line there so in this game we've seen at times the fullbacks stay narrow and they'll expect the wingers to to chase out to the wing to play it to cover the wide balls in this charlotte game the fullbacks were jumping these wide balls immediately and the defensive mids were very quick to rotate into that space behind them. And so this was a little defensive shift that we saw in this game that I think paid off. And Austin in general, especially as we went on into this game and Charlotte was getting cross after cross after cross and had the ball and were working the ball around Austin's rotation was excellent and to to be able to do that to have the the persistence and the just like the grit to do that and stay organized in those moments cuz whenever they're passing the ball they're trying to disorganize you trying to move you around and as a player steps out if someone doesn't drop into that spot that's where as a tired team you can get beat and Austin just didn't didn't get beat again we said maybe a lack of creativity on Charlotte's part but we didn't make it easy for them and i think that's again comparing it to 2021 austin fc these are the times when we folded and it didn't happen in that game
0: yeah if you look at like after pereira scores at 62 the next four shots are all Charlotte shots um that's all that we get in the last 30 minutes and none of them were very um they weren't never were very strong attempts you know they just like austin stayed disciplined and stayed home and um i was never I never, never felt like they were like Charlotte was too threatening, even even with the way it was going, even with the possession or whatever. Like they just, they were keeping them, they keeping the shots in the middle of the field and they're keeping them to like low percentage shots.
1: Okay. Well, I think we can leave the Charlotte game at that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll recap the Colorado game. And then we're also going to answer a couple of listener questions and then preview the upcoming game in Atlanta. So hang tight. We'll be right back. No one is <laughs>
0: landon let's talk about austin daily drop and this time you will not be trying to shovel in uh dinner while while i I do this one because we don't have well housing around to sub in so austin daily drop is a gathering of the local news stories that uh, austin broadcasting veteran chris Mosier finds impactful and interesting served up as a quick daily digest the austin daily drop covers everything from
1: city government to local business to sports life music dining everything else in between uh, you heard Chris Walson say that he is a recent convert and
0: doesn't miss, a, miss an episode now you should be like Chris and listen to the show the pod is dropped uh, by 8am Monday through Friday usually runs between 8 and 10 minutes long which is the length of a short commute or a short shower or about how long it takes either of my kids to eat dinner so they can go back to playing video games give Chris
1: 10 minutes and he'll give you Austin Jeremiah, we are doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group for the next home match. To enter, you can go to MoontowerSoccer.com, then click on the free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar or click on the link in the
0: show notes and fill out the form. This is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And
1: as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought
0: to you by friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education.
1: You can go to fvf.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fvf.law. All right, we are back. We are going to recap the Austin FC game in Colorado on July 4th. This game ended 2 to 3 in favor of Austin. It did not look like that was going to be the case after about 22 minutes did it? No, I just, I was in
0: a really bad spot. Uh and even <laughs> you know, even after those two goals, like I I think I posted this somewhere, but it was like that was the ugliest 2-2 halftime score that I've seen out of this club so far cuz it just felt like we were Slow and we were on the back foot, but you know, we just rose up in those moments and managed to score some goals. We even scored a bonus goal, which we'll get into. Um, Maxi Aruti did it, you know, so nice he had to do it twice, um, in the second half. But I, yeah, early in this match, I did not feel very good. This did not feel like a repeat of the Denver Day performance from last season.
1: So, before that first goal went in, the first, I guess, 18 minutes, I actually felt pretty good about the game. Am I alone in that? Or did you start feeling bad before then, or were you feeling nervous
0: already? I feel like we, I feel like we looked a little sloppy. Like I was not—I don't know if I was—I would get depressed and more depressed as the goals came in from Colorado, but should not feel like they were playing very crisp or clean, um, even even from the opening. But you did. Well, I th- I think there was some encouraging signs.
1: The fact that. I mean, we were keeping the ball, which again is the thing that we haven't been doing on the road. Maybe we shouldn't do it, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the press was, was being pretty effective as well. And we're forcing Colorado just to play long, hopeful balls, which I guess really is like one of their strengths is like, they're happy to play those just like, okay, there's pressure in the back. We're just going to launch it and then hope for a second ball. And then for a fast guy to get in the end of it, which in the end is maybe a good strategy for them to go with because it worked a few times. Um, But we were keeping the ball. We were moving the ball, getting into decent spots uh, and then maybe being shaky at moments as well. But I didn't feel terrible about the game until the first goal really.
0: Okay. So I, I I felt like that maybe early on, I'm willing to agree with that, but there was this Abubakar header at 15. Yeah. That I feel like could have had a good attempt, a good, had a good, a better attempt. And then Danny gets a yellow card at eighteen, and like those are sort of my first memories of the game, which were both before the goal. Yeah, okay. But I was like, I was so, f- and then I was like super frustrated with Danny because it was really dumb from that point forward. That's what I, that's what I started like worked into my depression about maybe how this was going to go.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about Danny's card while we're on the subject. So he gets his fifth. Quote unquote, fifth yellow card you know, now,
0: seventh or twelfth or whatever, depending upon your counting. But yeah,
1: in any case, he is suspended for the Atlanta game. This was a silly foul that did not need to happen. Uh, it was a kind of a soft one. But whenever you put your hand on a shoulder of an MLS veteran, like a guy that's been in the league, a smart player like Mark Anthony K, you give him the opportunity to go down in a moment where he really had nowhere to go which was what makes the foul silly to begin with, right? Like, just hustle back and keep pressure on him. No need to grab him in that moment. He grabs him. K knows he's got nowhere to go, feels a hand on his shoulder, goes down, gets the yellow. Like, is it slightly soft? Are there refs who maybe wouldn't have given it? Sure. But I think it's fair. Like, I don't think we have any reason to to argue with this yellow card. I think that's it's on Danny. Like, he needs to be smarter in that moment.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I mean, in the moment, I was like, "Oh, you know, K makes everything he can out of this." But why not? To your point, that was just—it was like a smart veteran play on his part.
1: Um, so that first goal comes in the nineteenth minute. This was a free kick. Uh, Lawless of Bubakar, one of their center backs, is lined up way wide. They kind of—they were doing this interesting formation on these free kicks where instead of everyone kind of lining up in a straight, like compact line on one side of the box, they would line up people all the way across the box and make Austin's defenders stretch out really broad. And so Abubakar starts on the far side. And as soon as the free kick taker takes the run up, he starts sprinting and Kip Keller is the player closest to him. He's the one who's supposed to be marking this player. I think he's running in and he's he's watching the ball, which is what you're supposed to do. He kind of knows where Abubakar is. I think Kip is thinking in this moment, like I've got the header covered, so I'm good. Like if if Abubakar comes up with his head, I'm here. Abubakar did not go up with his head. <laughs> he bodies like gets a body on Keller, stretches his foot out and dinks it over the top of of Stuver, which is a really great finish by Abubakar there, but. Um, kind of an amateur amateur coverage by by Keller there. A little bit naive to think that that's that he had done enough because it what had he been paying attention or just a bit more smart in that moment physically he could have done what he needed to do. It was just a mental thing that he didn't do what he needed to do.
0: Yeah, and I didn't notice that until the replay. Like in the uh, watching it live, I thought like, wow, that was a really like to your point, like that was a really good finish from Bubakar. And then on the replay, I was like, oh well, there was. There were things that happened that it allowed him to make that clever finish, and it maybe was not Kippy's finest moment. Yeah, so Kip Keller,
1: I thought he did pretty good in the Charlotte game for the most part. And in this game, maybe not as good. Like still you still see his um his good traits in this game, but I don't think he was great.
0: Yeah, I think you you see him for what he is right now. I just thinks that he does well, you know. He, um, but he's, you know, he lacks some awareness. We've talked about ta- like lack of tactical awareness and these kind of things that hopefully you learn at some point, right? That it's just from like being a guy one year out of St. Louis University and playing at the top league, top level in the league, and then he just kind of gets back to this like he's just kind of clumsy sometimes, and even and the way he moves, he kind of oversells it, right? Which we'll get to his second yellow in a little bit, but like his second yellow, if he was a more crafty player, maybe he doesn't get that call, but it's just like the way, the way he runs around and the way he plays the game, like he, he draws those kinds of things. Yeah.
1: It, his athleticism and reaction time are already at the MLS level. He's, he's good enough in those, in those categories. His positioning and decision-making still need to improve. And another thing that I'd really like to see him work on is adding some deception to his on-ball game. If you watch Gabrielson and Cascante, I think especially Cascante, they do a really good job of disguising passes either with their eyes or with their body shape, or sometimes they'll kind of take a touch one direction and then put their foot on it and turn the other direction just to get the defense moving, and then turning back the other way to see if space is opened up. These are little things that if, if Kip Keller can add them to his game, those are going to be the little things that kind of make him a top level defender. And he's not doing them yet. Like he's, he, whenever he plays a pass, he receives the ball and then looks where he's going to play it. Yeah. And then plays it there. And he plays a clean ball. He plays an accurate ball, but there's never really much of a surprise of where it's going to go whenever he plays it. Um, and then decision making you see in, in, uh, this first yellow... What was the f- the first... Oh, he just, like, puts a shoulder through, uh, yeah, the, yeah, he looked through like, someone.
0: Yeah, he looked like a linebacker on the first yellow. Like, at, at 40, yeah,
1: the 41. Yeah, so does that. The second one was uh, kind of, again, just kind of one of these, like, rookie mistakes where he wins the ball, uh, but he also leaves his studs up, and those studs find an ankle pretty, pretty firmly. <laughs> and so... Again, it's another one of those where another ref on another day maybe doesn't give it, but he opened the door. And Danny, again, with his yellow, you open the door and either in Danny's case, a veteran player makes the most of it or in this case, the ref sees your studs go into a guy's ankle. You're opening the door for that to happen. And whatever happens after that is fair game. And I don't think you can complain about it. And so... I know I saw some people online hoping that maybe Keller's second yellow would get rescinded after some type of review board or something. I, I would not hold my breath on that. I do not think this yellow card's going away. I do not think Kip Keller will be able to play in Atlanta,
0: which when we get to Atlanta preview may be a real problem. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. The second goal was in the 22nd minute. So, we're, we're pressing Colorado pretty high most of the game. And like I said before, they're happy just to boot it long and hope for those second balls. So this happens, uh, in the 22nd minute. Keller is going up against Diego Rubio, their striker, one of their, one of their forwards. I guess Zardes was the other one. Um, doesn't win the ball. It bounces. R- Rubio turns and kind of spins Keller and gets past him. And so. Gabrielson and Jimenez are the only players back at this point. Diego Rubio gets, gets to the ball, plays it forward. And at that moment, like when the ball bounces, Keller doesn't win it and the ball bounces at that point. Gabrielson either needs to step really hard and try to win that ball in the air and not let it bounce again and just head it up in the air and to give himself time to drop, or he needs to start dropping more aggressively because he sees Lewis on rushing. He doesn't do either of those things. He just kind of continues to like backpedal at a medium pace. And so when Rubio plays that ball, Jonathan Lewis is a fast player. And so he turns and starts chasing. Jimenez is also chasing and Lewis just leaves both of them in his dust. He ends up one on one with Stuver. And uh, again, a good finish. He, he kind of fakes a tougher shot. And then as Stuver starts to move, just chips it over the top of him and puts it in. But, um, I think Kip needs to do better in winning the ball there. And then I think Gabrielson needs to do a little bit better once that ball hits the ground, uh, to not let that happen. But you have to be more aware of, of a player as fast as Lewis in that situation.
0: Yeah. I think this was one of the concerns that we had. Um, it's just like Colorado's like Colorado having some fast guys and us having some inexperienced and, um, just Austin's de- Austin's defense can break down with that kind of speed. And we would see it later in the match, right? Right when uh, what's his face, Great. Michael Barrios, when ba- yeah, when, Bar- when Barrios comes on and just that speed differential look like, really revealed itself. What then?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Austin gets one back in the 28th minute. Uh, Ethan Finley scores this one. So, like I said, in these road games, Austin has been looking to play a bit more direct in general. I talked about the midfielders hitting those long diagonals, but the fullbacks, I think especially the left back, both Colemanich and gallagher have been looking to do this a lot to play to Finley or to Wolf on that right wing. Those have been like Diego's game is kind of to receive the ball and turn in. He'll make those runs and we're playing, playing those balls to him some as well, but usually he's looking to come in and receive the ball and, the right wing Wolf and Finley will usually look to kind of push on that side. So Finley gets the start here. Uh, Gallagher receives the ball and turns, looks to hit a long diagonal pass to Finley, who's making a run. I think he probably hit it a little short. Either it was he was aiming for Aruti and just wasn't accurate, or he was aiming for Finley on the back side and just hit a little short. So Danny Wilson, their middle center back in their back three. He was there, but he just kind of ducks under the ball thinking nobody was behind him. He's like, oh, I'll just let the keeper catch this one. And so he ducks under it. Austin Trusty is there, but he was thinking that Danny Wilson was going to play with his head. So he doesn't really have time to adjust and probably doesn't see Finley continuing his run there. So neither of those guys touch it. Finley gets on the end of it. He's one on one with the keeper and just dinks it over the keeper and finishes really well there. So um a, a slightly lucky play. but. Uh, good on Gallagher for just trying something and then good on Finley for not stopping his run whenever it looked
0: like the Colorado players were going to win it. And this is the kind of stuff we wanted to see out of Finley, right? That we haven't for so long. Is this like direct action or that we hadn't seen I guess since it's like uh, we scored like two goals in a substitute appearance early on against yeah. Miami. But you know, it was just like he seemed very ponderous on the ball and this was like a really uh well well positioned and well played shot from him. Clever finish. Good to see. Um, I think his dad made sure everybody knew that he, he's we shouldn't be surprised <laughs> by this, and he scored fifty-two goals in his MLS career and was also a, a national team player.
1: Yeah, I again I think a lot of people look at Ethan Finley as kind of a scrub, but the guy has played really well in his past. So uh let's just hope he can keep it up for Austin. Uh second goal for Austin comes in stoppage time in the first half. Dreusi scores this one. So Drucy makes a really good bending run into the box. This is like dying seconds. Probably the I think they they got kickoff and then they blew the whistle. Um but Gallagher again plays a really nice ball in from deep as Drucy makes that kind of bending run right into the middle of the box. Drucy lets the ball kind of fall across him. He could have easily taken it on his head, but just like the angle he was at, I think he he knew that it was just him and the keeper as the ball was falling in front of him. And so instead of taking it on his head, he just kind of turns and lets the ball fall across his body and then side foots it past the keeper. It was a really like really classy finish there to, to be able to take it across his body, like over his head and then still place it like that. Like
0: it just shows the quality that that guy has. Yeah. So two, two thoughts on this. I mean, John Gallagher is involved in both these assists and he makes uh he made MLS team of the week for this match too. like, are these two lucky plays or are we seeing like good continued maturation of John Gallagher? I guess question one,
1: not lucky. Um, I, I think there's lucky elements to the first one, but you make your own luck. Like it's one of those things like you have to try stuff. It's not always going to come off, but they were looking for this pattern of something that was working and Gallagher saw it was on and tried it again and it worked. And so, uh, I don't like, I don't think we can expect John Gallagher to get two assists every game, but, it's a thing that I think he's being asked to do and is executing on it and and putting balls in positions where they're dangerous for forwards to get onto. So yeah, I, I think it's you can give credit to John Gallagher
0: on these. And is there some way that the fullbacks are set up or the way that they played in this match that led to that, that leads to these kinds of assists or this kind of offensive involvement? Or is this just Gallagher playing to his strengths in Wolf Ball?
1: I think it's partially the fact that We've been doing this all season, but maybe haven't been doing these longer balls as effectively all season. But those fullbacks are sitting a little deeper and tucking in a little bit more as opposed to always overlapping and always getting forward. Our wingers are kind of taking care of that, which allows the fullbacks to kind of be a bit more involved in build up. And at times, whenever, whenever, like they're being told to look for that ball across the field which I think last season that was not ever a thing that they were looking for, which what caused the horseshoe of sadness is okay. The only option is to play up the line or back to the midfield. And so if you're not looking for these other things, like you're not like, that's what's going to happen. You're just going to pass it in a U shape. But I think they're being told as part of that positioning, staying a little bit deeper, one of the options they're looking for is either inside, like playing to like Drew, feet inside or looking at that backside, watching for either the other fullback or the winger making a run on the backside. And so I I think it is part of the game plan and Gallagher has been doing it
0: really well. And I guess one of the other things I was thinking about that we've been, you know, last year we talked about how we couldn't break lines. There's two ways you do it, right? You, you dribble through them or you pass through them and, in this match, particularly, like we did both, right? Like Danny does a really good job of dri- breaking lines by dribbling through. It, and then you see these pat, like stuff like these passes from Gallagher, and we're doing both. And I think that's a big difference between this year and last year. last year we were doing neither of those things. Gabrielson dribbled through a few lines in this game, too, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did, which I, you know, he's got these like hidden flashes of offensive greatness that he breaks out from time to time, which I don't, I didn't expect to see when we signed him, but he's, yeah, he's been good. Yeah. So, um,
1: I don't think we said this being of the Colorado match, but Kip Keller and Ruben Gabrielson were our only center backs available in this game. Uh, Ruben, I thought in both of these games was really good for the most part. A few shaky moments um, as seems to be kind of par for the course, but overall really good. Uh, Talking about dribbling, there was a moment I noticed in the rewatch of the Colorado match where Keller gets the ball and nobody's pressuring him. And he's on the same side of the field as Alex Ring. And Alex Ring is kind of, like, telling him what to do and, like, <laughs> directing traffic. It's like the puppet master, like, driving Kip Keller, essentially. And this is another one of those things, like, he just, like, at times, if it doesn't go as scripted, like, he doesn't have the experience to, like, know what decision to make in those moments. But nobody is pressuring him. And Alex Ring starts dropping and has his hand up in the air and like a come-hither <laughs> motion is like, come on, take that space, take that space. And finally, Keller does it and steps into the space and makes some guys commit to him and then plays a ball and it ends up uh, getting into a more dangerous spot. But like uh, just another example of, of the things that Kip Keller needs to learn, essentially. All right, so that goal was the end of the first half. Uh, second half... Austin we, comes out and looks like a bit
0: a bit more like Austin, don't they? Yeah, they do. They look, they looked really threatening. You know, they were moving. Um the midfield was connecting, the attack was connecting. We get a I don't know exactly what the time was, but we get what we thought was a maxi goal. 50 something minutes into it. That gets called back because of a handball, correct? On Sebastian r- Driussi. Right,
1: which Via Var this one was weird to me. Like I, I think I defended the ref on a couple of the prior calls. I'm not going to do it on this one. Okay. Cause good. Um, like it's one of those. So I think we've had a few calls like this break our way. So maybe this is just our time or karma or whatever you want to call it. But we've had some calls where it's one of those, like the clear and obvious rule falls in our favor. It didn't get called on the field or it did get called in the field but it's not clear and obvious on, on the replay. So therefore we can't overturn it. This one, it did not get called on the field. It did not look clear and obvious and it got overturned to a handball, which that that's why it shocked me. Like did it touch his arm? Yeah, maybe, but I didn't think it was clear and obvious based on that replay. So I don't think, I don't feel like the ref had grounds to overturn it based on what he saw from the video evidence.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And then so Maxi, I guess, took that personally and just (laughs) a few minutes later scored another one. And then he talked a little bit of trash to the ref, right, Uh, after he scored? It wasn't on the broadcast, but
1: from our our fellow Verdes on the ground, they said that he kind of like uh, enthusiastically referenced to his hand and then said something like essentially saying like, that one didn't touch my hand, did it? Uh, which you got to love Maxi for stuff like that.
0: <laughs> for sure.
1: Um, so that was the go ahead, right? So Yeah, that's the go ahead. That was at 59. 59 minutes in. Um, Michael Barrios comes in in the 67th minute. And then not long after that, Austin starts making some subs. So Lima comes in for Jimenez, which I thought was like a great move in the moment. Lima is... Not as good defensive, or sorry, Jimenez is not as good defensively in these moments. Plus, just having fresh legs against uh, the fast wingers that that Colorado has. Like, regardless of how Jimenez looked, like get get Lima's legs on there. Uh, Owen Wolf comes on for Diego Fagundes again. Fagundes played all of the Charlotte game, so maybe to do with. I don't know, like at least something to do with with rotation here. Uh, Not long after that, Kip Keller gets his second foul, which we already talked about. So Austin goes down to 10 men, but also we have no center backs to replace him with. So Alex Ring slides back to center back. Then um, not long after that, Felipe comes on for Ethan Finley. So I believe it ended up being... Felipe and who would have been in the middle of the field there? Felipe and Danny, right? Yeah. Felipe and Danny in the middle of the field. Um Wolf on the right, Drew C on the left, and GTA up top. He came in at eighty as well. Comes in and he's
0: at up at the top by himself, kind of leading the press by himself. Which honestly, and this is a, that's a good thing. This is one of the things he's good at when you're down a man and you just need somebody to like leave the press alone and like body people and occupy some space and some ball and like slow a game down. This is one of Musa
1: JT's skills. I think he's not as good at leading the press by himself. Like Maxi would be way better in that scenario. But in, in this situation, whenever you're defending deep and need to launch a ball at somebody, yeah, Musa is who you want in that situation. Like aim it at Musa's picks and just let him like bounce off his his chest and onto his feet. Like, that's what you want. Um, and yeah, he, he does good in that situation. So uh, Austin sees it out. I, I'm trying to think of how many big chances there were towards the end of the game. Can you remember
0: any? So I feel like there were a lot of times when they were, I felt like we were being threatened, especially by Barrios. But Barrios had that one ball. I can't remember what that was. I don't even think it ended did it end up being a shot. The uh like the one where he was open on Stuver and Yeah, I don't even see it on the list of shots. I'm looking at the uh expected
1: goals chart here. Yeah. So the Keller red card was like 74 or something like that. It looks like Colorado had four or five chances, none of them above five percent on the XG chart. So uh Austin did a good job of kind of keeping them at bay through then they got seven minutes of, of stoppage time, which is the was longest seven minutes I've ever concerning. seen concerning. <laughs> uh, but they, they had pulled it out, ended up with a three, two win. I don't know why we have to do it like this every time. Like, why do we have to give up two goals to be able to, to do this? Uh, which brings up a stat that um, Austin has gone down two nil four times this season. And they've not lost any of those games. We've won two and drawn two. Games we've gone down two nil, which is insane.
0: That is I just don't I don't know why that is. Like what, what is it? We still don't start paying attention until we're down two or, or what? I don't know. Or it's just hopefully hopefully it's a random statistical anomaly. I would like to not go down two oh if we could do that. Like let's score yeah. first and make it a little bit easier. Plus if we score first at home, we all get pluggers' wings. And who doesn't love that? <laughs>
1: I've never taken. I've gotten the card, but I've never actually gone oh, to Pluckers. I actually
0: never been to Pluckers. Period. Oh well, we've been to Pluckers, but I've never actually <laughs> redeemed. I've never redeemed a card at Pluckers. They're wings. They're fine. Don't trash uh, the sponsors.
1: <laughs> uh, anybody any, or anything else we want to cover before we jump into the rest
0: of uh, the Patreon questions in the Atlanta preview? No, I think we've hit on everything. I mean, I think getting those two wins. You know, this is a tough stretch on the road. So getting getting six points out of all three matches is good. And I think we, we talk about Atlanta. We could talk about how it's good that we already have the six in the bank because going beyond that, it's challenging. But to be sitting second in the West on 34 points after 18 matches, when at this point last year, after 18 matches, we were on 16, you know, so we've more than doubled our point total year to date and we've tripled our goal output year to date. I mean, I think we should just take a moment to appreciate exactly how much better this club has been in the 2021 version of it. Yeah, the table
1: is very encouraging right now. So we're two points behind LAFC. They have 36, we have 34. Then third place, RSL is finally on the same number of games played as us. They're five points behind us. LA and fourth place is seven points behind us. Dallas is also seven points behind us. So, like, it looks good. We could lose. One game, maybe two games and still be in second place potentially, which is that's a good spot to be in. And then another thing I was looking at last the last two seasons, the playoff line has hit at 48 points. That was the last team that got into the playoffs was at 48 points. So Austin now with 34 points, we could go the rest of the season averaging less than one point per game, which is that puts you at like bottom of the table level, the Kansas city is at 0.84. Uh, I'm not going to do the math correctly here, but I think we could probably get 0.84 points per game for the rest of the season and still make the playoffs, which is a great spot to be in. Um, all right. Should we jump into some, a couple of listener questions, Jeremiah?
0: Yeah, let's take them. Cause we've got one legitimate, um, straightforward soccer question and, one question that uh, Patreon subscribers will get to ask.
1: Let's stay on the theme and answer this second one first. So this one is from Shizzy on Twitter, and they ask, "My dream is to attend a home playoff game at Q2. What place do we need to finish to secure a home game?
0: Do you In know? That, you know the answer. To this that one, place right? is fourth, fourth or Correct. higher.
1: Correct. Yep, fourth place guarantees us one home game." Uh, after that is essentially just the highest seed, right? So it would depend on who wins on the other part of the bracket that we go to. So it's kind of up to up to fate. But the higher we get, the more likely we are to play at home more. But four guarantees us one game.
0: Yeah, and like you said, we're now... Of course, we've got one... I guess we've played one more game than LA Galaxy who's sitting fourth, but we're seven points clear of them now.
1: Yeah. So we're um, in good shape. All right. The other question comes from... One of our our favorite question askers, ATX Camp Lover 6969420. nine four twenty, who is Devin, right? It is. I didn't know if he wanted to say his name on the show, but I guess we would just say first okay. name, then it's fine. Okay,
0: yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, how many f- how many Bergkamp lovers do you do you know too? Like, I feel like that, that maybe be a giveaway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who would win in a fight, a
1: grackle or a magpie? Jeremiah, I did a little bit of research to answer this one, but it sounds like you did a significant amount of research here.
0: I did more research than I wanted to know, and I feel like this is the kind of question somebody asks us just to make us do homework to see if we'll do it. So let me give you my less educated
1: answer, and you can give me your very educated answer. So I looked up average size of each of these birds, and we're in danger of getting into some Monty Python and the Holy Grail territory, but there are multiple species of magpie, including an Australian one and an American one. I'm using the American version of the magpie, uh, which is on average larger than a grackle. And so the magpie has the weight advantage here. I think of grackles as like kind of the city bird and magpie is like a mountain country bird, and so it maybe be two fighting styles
0: as well. You th- you think that they may be tougher? You think like uh, maybe, maybe just like, tougher in different ways? Like street smart, you're. That what you're thinking from, from? Yeah,
1: a grackle will like will pull a shiv out of its sock, whereas a magpie will maybe um, I don't know be more of like a just like straight up bare knuckle boxer.
0: I think it's that's probably that's probably okay. And the other thing that I did not know before is that grackles and magpies are from different families of birds. Grackles are ictorids, while uh, magpies are Corvids, which are also cr- crows, are also the same thing. <laughs> did not know that. I got really excited. It's not
1: a thing I would have even thought about, Jeremiah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Who knew? I just thought they were both black birds. And then I guess apparently magpies has this reputation for being like, So this is what I read about. I was like trying to look at aggressiveness for both of them. And so magpies have this uh, ill-received reputation for being swooping, attacking birds, which apparently only happens during swooping season, which is a little, like, not that much of the year. Um, And so... They are also food-stealing birds.
1: They are food-stealing birds. Because they have a nickname, which is camp robber. That's good. Some people call them camp robbers instead of magpies.
0: But I f- so I guess the thing that I would so I'm going to go grackle just on this aggressiveness thing because I feel like a grackles are g- aggressive all the time nonstop like they're loud they're tenacious they won't quit and I feel like magpies have like a season or a time when they're going to like go after it and then you're going to kind of back off afterwards and I feel like like the grackle just does not have any quit in them so grackles
1: grackle. 24-7, 365.
0: Absolutely. As anybody that's ever been doing H-E-B knows, grackles, grackle all the time. So although <laughs> being smaller and being lighter, I feel like just like the raw tenacity is going to pull the grackle out on top.
1: Well, if you want to be like Devin and make us answer stupid questions like this, then you can go to our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes or on MoontowerSoccer.com and become a member there. Uh, let's jump into our Atlanta united preview jeremiah so give us a quick history lesson
0: yeah so atlanta started playing 2017 they've always had great attendance they originally played at an outdoor stadium called bobby dodd stadium um named after georgia coach bobby dodd i'm guessing uh moved into mercedes-benz in 2017 won a title in their second season um led by one (laughs) joseph martinez who had one of probably one of the greatest seasons in league history but then after 2018 tata martino left And they've kind of not been nearly as good since then over the last, what, three MLS seasons. They've seen a real downfall. Yeah, Joseph
1: Martinez has rarely been healthy since then. They sold Miguel Almiron after that season. And as much attention as Martinez got, and he was the one scoring the goals, I think Miguel Almiron was the best player on that team. And they didn't really find a replacement for him like they thought they were going to. And then the coaching change after Marti- uh, after Martino leaves, they never got a coach in that really fit their style again.
0: Yeah, who came in? Frank, was Frank DeBoer the next
1: one? I can't remember if he was immediately, but he was the next long-term guy. No. Uh, and he was essentially trying to change everything that was in the DNA of these players <laughs> and making them play a bit more reserve style. And it just wasn't working.
0: Yeah, so then last season, 2021... Gonzalo Pineda comes in from Seattle late in the year. I think he's the f- third or fourth coach. Yeah, because they fired the since other
1: guy. I can't remember who what the other guys, the uh, South American guy that I can't remember his name, but he got fired. Uh, in similar circumstances, Miguel and Hill Ramirez. Like everybody apparently just hated the guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Right. And then and like in the the front office is kind of chaotic probably still is you know it was just i mean it was like a model franchise and it kind of turned into a mess they finished fifth in the East, um go on the road to nycfc lose to nyc in the f- nycfc in the first round um and that was kind of the end of 2021 Then this season uh barco who they paid a lot of money and didn't get a ton out of um is out george bellows out You know, they've still got a whole expensive roster and high hopes, but they have not been very good again this year. So they're 11th in the East, 26 goals for and 26 goals against. So they're um, zero goal differential. Still have Joseph Martinez, but they just don't seem to have like a ton of playmakers beyond him.
1: They've, yeah. So they've got um, Tiago Almada, who I think has had some injury stuff. Uh, Luis Araujo, I can't say... I can speak Spanish, but I can't say uh, Portuguese names to save my life. But he's very good as well. But he's just like, I think he took a while to kind of settle, but he's been very good. But they've just had a lot of other inconsistencies in the team. Uh, as of last week, they had nine players unavailable, so several of them long-term. So Ozzy Alonso tore ACL. Brad Guzon uh, ruptured in Achilles. He's out long-term. Miles Robinson ruptured in Achilles. He's out long-term. Andrew Gutman has been out for a few weeks. Uh, Ronald Hernandez, who had a few really good games is out for several weeks. Brooks Lennon, who's been one of their most consistent players for the last few years. He's out for, I think a couple of months, Tyler Wolf, who's been getting significant minutes. He's been out on international duty with the USU twenties, and then has been rumored to be moving to Belgium soon on a loan. Uh, And then Santiago Sosa has was out last week with illness, maybe back this week, but They've had a lot of injuries, um, have really struggled to replace Miles Robinson on that back line. And then Joseph Martinez has, whenever he's been on the field, he's been good, but he just hasn't been able to stay consistently on the field. So it's a team with some really talented players in the attack, but they just haven't been able to maintain any consistency to really get anything going for long stretches at a time.
0: So all that would lead one to believe that Atlanta is a team ripe for Austin to squeak out some other kind of result on the road, but we got to kind of look at Austin too, right? And we're not in a great position either with um, entries, suspensions, and we're playing Houston on Tuesday. And at some point, this schedule congestion has to catch up with the club too.
1: Yeah, so Austin's missing players include uh, Danny Pereira and Kip Keller, who are both suspended on cards. Julio Cascante, uh, who has a hamstring injury, you would guess wouldn't be back by Saturday if it's a hamstring thing. Like Hamstrings just don't get better that quickly. Uh, Johan Romagna was out with the concussion uh, concussion protocol for the Colorado game. He could potentially be back, but as we learned doing research with Matt Beasler last year, I think the rule, like the concussion protocol rule says like seven days or however many days after the last symptoms. And so he would have essentially needed to be completely clear the day after the Colorado game or no, not even then because that was on Monday. So that was, it was in the Charlotte game. So if he was clear the next day, then he could potentially be ready for Atlanta. But like, there's it's a good chance that that's <laughs> yeah. not happening. Uh, Juan Valencia is still recovering from meniscus surgery. I would expect he'll be back soonish, but still probably two or three weeks. And then Freddie Kleeman, who would have been maybe the emergency call in, like we saw last year, um, he was on loan, but he ended up tearing his ACLs out for the year. And then Maxi went down and had to come out of the game in the Colorado game. It looked like it was uh, like... Wolf said in, in the post-game press conference that he was hyperventilating. I saw the medical team like kind of with their hand on his wrist, like checking, like counting his pulse or something. And then they were giving him oxygen on the field. So you would hope that's just kind of a short-term thing and that he would be back, but maybe not. Um, I'm
0: less worried about the striker one, but midfield in the back line is a little concerning. Very much so. So what do you, because I've seen you opine this on Twitter, like, 'Cause I know some people were thinking we play three at the back. what I mean some people were like, oh well let's just punt this game and then we'll like rally for Houston, which I don't see I don't see Josh Wolf doing. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: I don't I don't think we have to punt games this year. Like we have enough good players that like last year punting a game meant playing like not playing the same players every week which we had to do to have a chance in any game. And so by making subs, you were essentially giving up on it. Yeah. Game. Yeah. But you're and bringing in a-
0: Aiden Stanley and Manny Perez. And yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah it's crazy. Like w- we can still put out a decent lineup, although we'll be playing somebody out of position. Uh, I think Chris Bills said that he wanted to see Gabriel's like a back three, essentially Gabrielson in the middle with Lima and ring on either side of him. I would rather stick with the back four and put Ring at center back. That way you're playing one player out of position as opposed to two players out of position with Lima and Ring playing center back. You're playing one guy at center back who's not used to playing there. Um, And then the rest of the team is like not that hard to pick really. I think you rotate Lima back in to start on the right. Uh, Maybe play Kolmanich if if Gallagher needs rotation for – for the record, John Gallagher is my starting left back at this point. I think he's won that and he's earned it. So if if he's fit and ready to go and doesn't need rotating, I want to see him. But maybe he does need to be rotated. Either way, that's fine. In the midfield, I think you see um, Felipe. This one gets tricky, too, with not being able to pick Pereira, doesn't it? So. Who's going to be in the midfield with
0: Felipe? So you, yeah, you don't have no Pereira and you don't have Valencia. So I mean, do you play? Uh, you give Owen Wolf his opportunity to play there?
1: Yeah, that's not a bad shout. Actually, I I think that's what I would want to see. The alternative would be to move Fagundes inside and play Wolf and Finley wide. Um, even then, you're playing someone on a side they're not comfortable with. So I think I want to see. Felipe, Wolf, Driussi in the midfield, and then Finley and Fagundes on the wing, and then um, if Maxi's good to go, play Maxi. And if he's not, I'd say let Houston start again.
0: Yeah, I would do this. I would do the same up front. I think.
1: Yeah. So like, it's not great, but it's also not as bad as we had it last year <laughs> for, for sure. most yeah. of the games.
0: <laughs> yeah, and especially when you look at what Atlanta's playing. I mean, it's like. You know, they've, like you mentioned, they've got so many guys out. Like they've got issues too. So they're not playing their best 11. So I feel like it's a comp- you can roll a competitive squad out for this one. And I think you just have to keep picking up points. I mean, I know Houston's yeah. like, you can't, you just can't give up on a match for the potential of like something else in three days, right? Like you take it one game at a time and put to roll out your best 11 and pick up some points here. And if that means you don't, you know, you're not as good against Houston, then you play the best 11 you have then on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, and like Felipe's not throwing a game. Like <laughs> right, right. he's he's not as talented as some of the other guys in the field, but he's not throwing a game. Ruben Gaverson's not throwing a game. Like these guys are gonna play. And so like maybe you play a bit more reserved, but as far as like throwing it, like it's not gonna happen. But it is it is really nice to have the luxury of having won these recent games because we're looking at this stretch of road games as a really tough set of games. And the fact that we've gotten six points out of it so far, if this Atlanta one doesn't go well, it's less of a moral hit to like the, the psyche of the players than it would have been had we lost those two games and we're going into this game with a depleted roster.
0: Yeah. I mean, practically speaking, you get blown out against Atlanta. You entered this match in second place in the West. You ended this match in second place in the West. Yeah, that that, that's the good that's the good, good thing about banking these points early.
1: Yeah. And then you you go into Houston, we're going to have Pereira and Keller back. Uh, Maybe not all the players will be back, but that's already like a decent set of players to choose from just with those two guys back for Houston. So um, it's really like, yeah, I, I don't. We're in good shape, even if this Atlanta game doesn't go well, we're in good shape. All right. Anything else on that
0: game? No, I think we've covered it. I'm
1: looking forward to seeing what we pull out here. Um, I'm going to be at this game, Jeremiah. I'm going to Atlanta. Ashley and I are going. My parents are going to be there. Uh, I think we're taking a pretty good crew. I think it's like 160, 170 that have bought with the, the group and then some others who have bought with friends or family in Atlanta. So we'll have a pretty good crowd there. Uh, people listening, if I have met you before... Uh, I can't wait to see you in Atlanta. If I've not met you before, please come say hi. I'd love to meet uh, some listeners, some new friends, and hang out in Georgia together. All right, before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at lvahero 87 and jbentley underscore etx, And then at Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. And then visit the Striker Texas website where you can get a 30% discount with the code Moon Tower 22 with a capital M. Moon Tower 22 with a capital M. Jeremiah, what should folks look out for in the Striker this week?
0: I think one article that stood out for me this week was Chris Bills that wrote an article about how the Academy is bursting with the potential and showing promise at the MLS Next playoffs. I think it just kind of shows the kind of things you can only get from the Striker. It's like you don't get long-form articles from respected journalists about how Academy teams do it in MLS Next tournaments anywhere else except for the Striker Texas. So I thought it was a good example of the kind of content you can get there.
1: Absolutely. Um, all right. We also want to remind you about the Austin Soccer Foundation Gala on July 14th. Uh, you can go... Is it... Do you know that their website is off the top of your head, it's Jeremiah? It's
0: austinsoccerfoundation.org. And I think we'll both be at that one too.
1: I'm planning on it. That's the plan f- right now. So and I'll, uh, hopefully we'll see you all there.
0: I have, a Verde, I have a Verde tuxedo jacket that I plan on wearing too. So that's how you'll be able to all identify right. me.
1: <laughs> I'm the one in the Verde tuxedo jacket.
0: Uh, all right. Thanks so
1: much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review the Atlanta match, and then we'll preview both the Copa Tejas matches and then cover any other Austin FC news that happens. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Thanks for nothings so you never La gente. Uh, oh my God